Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. I believe in the grace of God. I know that you do too. But you know what? There's people that can even abuse the grace of God. They think if they live in sin, it magnifies the grace of God. So I'm free to live however I want to because God's already forgiven me. Oh, he might have forgiven you so you can go to heaven. But there is a forgiveness in life when you realize this is sin. God not only wants to save you from sin, he wants to save you from sinning. Let's go to the Word of God and find out together. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian. Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. Again, welcome you to Student of the Word. Glad you're here today. I'm going to be teaching you out of Galatians chapter 5. If you'd like to go ahead and open to that, you can. And Galatians is a book written to Christians about not being under the law, not being saved by law, but being saved by grace. But then don't transfer that grace over to the side after you're born again to think you can just live any way you want to. That's not true. The purpose of the Christian life is to get you, first of all, born again, get the Holy Spirit living in you, then for you to grow in your relationship with the Holy Spirit to be led by him and grow in your relationship to the word of God. If you do, you reach the point God wants you to, and that is a Christian who does not sin. Now, God's goal for you is that you never sin. You say, well, I'm ever going to reach that? Not here in life. But you know what? What God wants you to realize is every day, stop for just a moment and think. I, have I have I quit sinning? Well, no. If, if I got what, what's going on, think for just a minute. Are you better today than you were ten years ago? Well, yeah. How about five years ago? Well, yeah, I am better. Well, think about that. You're progressing. This is what God wants you to do. Check how far you've advanced, not how far you've got to go. You know, I've been on a diet ever since I was born. I think I tell my mom I've been on a diet since five years old. And, you know, but the thing about a diet is, you know, you start to lose a little bit of weight. And instead of rejoicing over the two pounds that you lost in one day, you're still looking at it going, but I still have 30 more pounds to go. Get your eyes off how far you've got to go and rejoice over every inch of progress because those inches of progress keep mounting up. So it is in the Christian life. Instead of being discouraged by some things still have a hold on your life and you think, why? are Stop and think about other things that don't have a hold on your life. And even in that one area, that you progress and you commit that sin less and less and less. And it's not like you try to, you fall into it and then you ask God to forgive you and basically get up, dust yourself off and get right back in the race and keep on running. God's goal for you is that you would never sin. These things we write to you that you sin not. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So yes, God's desire is that you reach a point where you never sin. This is the purpose of the Christian life for that type of growth. So we're going to talk about that. This comes from my book on the book of Galatians. It's available. The announcer is going to tell you how you can have it. It's also available on a flash drive and on CD also. And the reason why I love flash drives and CDs is because I can put them in my car. This demands that you sit down mark it, look at it. And this is great for going back and looking at it again. But my thought is, why not listen to it when you ride in the car? I've said this before, and some of you might be tired of me talking about it, but the most unproductive time of your day is when you go in your car to the office and back, or you go to visit somebody, you go back, you go to a store and come back, and your wife sends you off for some milk and some other stuff, and the store is about 10 minutes away. That's 20 minutes, 10 minutes there and back that you could be listening to the Word of God instead of country music, classic rock, or talk radio. 
all three end up being an eventual waste of time because why you hear the same songs over and over again, and sadly, the same news over again, over again, all day long. You keep waiting for something new on it, but nothing happens. It's the same thing over and tomorrow it all changes and goes in another direction. What I'm simply telling you is the word of God is so important because as you're sitting in the car, you can hear the word of God and all of a sudden get revelation on it because you're driving down the street, not thinking about too many other things, just getting to the office or getting to your place of work. And when you get there, you've managed to listen to maybe 20, 30 minutes of the word of God. And you think about that during the day because you start to meditate on it. This is why I highly recommend that you get it in a form where you can listen to it in the car. Don't turn the radio on or don't just even turn it off. Listen to the word of God and listen and you're just going to change your life. There's times I've honestly done this. I've had to stop the car and just think for a moment on what, and then even write a note down on there because it was just so good. And then I can come back later to the book, uh, on, you know, by, by me here, not, not that I particularly read my book, but yes, I do sometimes. But in other words, if you have the, the same author that's teaching it there on a CD or a flash drive, you can come back to the Word of God. So this will be talked to you about uh, when we get to halftime. He'll tell you how that you can have a copy of this book for yourself, and you'll also see on there that you can order a flash drive or a CD also. Galatians chapter 5, we're finally there. Let's go to verse 13 and read down through verse 17. For you brothers, he's talking to Christians, have been called to liberty. But don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but by love serve one another. Your liberty isn't to be used for your flesh. Your liberty is not, oh, wow, I can go drink now and I can go get drunk and I can go to parties because I'm a Christian now. I'm going to heaven and God has saved me so I can just live any way I want to. It's not an occasion for your flesh, but it's an occasion to grow in love toward one another and serve other people, not serve myself. The purpose of salvation is not for you to be self-serving, self-loving, self-righteous, self-loving yourself as far as finances, gaining everything for yourself and forget everybody else. I'll live however I want to because after all, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Yes, you are spiritually, and yes, your sins have been forgiven that are going to keep you out of heaven, but the point of it is these sins you commit in the Christian life can hinder your Christian life down here and hinder your rewards when you get up there. Heaven is not a reward, it's a gift, but you do receive rewards up there for what you did down here. Did you do it with the proper motive? Did you do it by love and serving one another? Verse 14 goes on to say, quoting Leviticus 19:18, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. And the law refers to not only the Old Testament, but all of the word of God and every commandment in it. All of the commandments of the word of God are fulfilled in one verse. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do you love yourself? It's fine to love yourself. Just make sure you love your neighbor even as you love yourself or even go a step higher as it says in Philippians. And that is loving others and esteeming others even better than yourself. Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, in other words, if you if you say evil things about people, here you are born again, spirit-filled, walking with Jesus, and yet you still grumble, gripe, and uh, uh, complain about other people. If you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. If you bite and eat and bite and eat, eventually you're going to consume it. And that's what happens to your friends. Eventually you have no friends, no one to hang around you, and you wonder where they all go. It's your fault. All you look was to criticize everybody, not to build them up, not to love them, not to see if they do need help to offer some help rather than criticism. 
It then goes on to say, Paul says, I say then walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against, he's not talking about sinners, he's talking about believers. Your flesh lusts against the spirit of God living in you and your recreated human spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another and you cannot do the things you want. As long as you're controlled by your flesh, you cannot accomplish what God wants or what you ultimately want is a spiritual walk with him. So at any time, we as Christians are controlled by the Holy Spirit who lives in our human spirit or we're controlled by our flesh. Why? Because when we get born again, we still have the nature of the flesh and it abides in our body. And so the lusts that are in our body fight against the spirit on the inside of us. The swing vote comes by our soul and that is by free choice. We choose to walk in the spirit and we choose to walk in the flesh, but God says, please don't walk in the flesh, choose to walk in the spirit. And so 1 Corinthians chapter three really deals with this subject and simply says this, if you're walking in the spirit, you're a spiritual Christian. If you're walking under the control of your flesh, you're called a carnal Christian and God wants you to be a spiritual Christian. And again, the swing vote being the mind says, and your will, if you're spiritually minded, that's life and peace. If you're carnally minded, it produces death ending things. Anything the flesh can produce will die. Anything the Holy Spirit can produce in you will become eternal and you'll be rewarded for it in heaven. So both the spirit and the flesh crave freedom, but the flesh craves freedom to do whatever it wants to against the will of God and not concerned about other people. But the spirit inside of me, which is the Holy Spirit and my human spirit recreated, desires freedom to serve other people and to serve God and to show God to people around me and to bring as many converts into heaven and as many disciples into heaven as possible. Our spirit craves freedom to totally serve other people and to totally serve God. Our spirit craves freedom so it can produce righteousness, things that are eternal. Both our flesh craves freedom to satisfy our sinful desires, producing iniquity from our human lust, and then also our spirit desires freedom so that again, it can produce the things of God. Each freedom, one from the flesh, one from the spirit, nullify each other and they cannot coexist together. They fight one against the other. And the one that you're going to allow to win is the one that you allow to dominate at the time. You can control the flesh at any time the flesh has a momentary control over you and you yield to it, you can ask God to forgive you of that and immediately the Holy Spirit is back in control. I like to think of it this way. Inside of you is the Holy Spirit desiring to control your life. Your flesh is desiring to control you too. As long as you decide, okay, I'll let the flesh control this one. The Holy Spirit's inside of you with his arms folded. Oh, he still lives there. He doesn't control you. And the moment that you ask God, say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that that was wrong. Forgive me of that. The moment that happens, the Holy Spirit says, okay, here we go. And now the flesh has to control its, uh, fold its arms. Why? Because it no longer controls you. Oh, it's there to tempt you. It keeps pushing, pushing, pushing. Whenever you get something from God, your flesh says, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it better. Why don't you listen to me? And it'll bring in all kinds of reasons and excuses why you should let the flesh take over. You just simply keep saying no. If your spirit controls you, your flesh is powerless. If your flesh controls you, your spirit and the Holy Spirit living in you is powerless. They're still there. 
Just like if you're living by the Spirit, the flesh is still there. If you're living by the flesh, the Holy Spirit's still there. You don't lose the flesh because you walk with God, nor do you lose the Holy Spirit because you walk in the flesh. As believers, God wants us to despise the iniquity in our flesh and the things that the flesh desires to produce. Let's talk a little bit about those. Galatians chapter five, verse 19 through 21. I'll just list a few of those. Adultery, fornication, hatred, envy, bitterness, jealousy. We can go down the list of these are the things that come from the flesh. And the flesh will often try to even imitate those and say, look, those are spiritual. You need to be angry at that person. They deserve your anger. No, they deserve my love. I may not agree with what they're doing, but if if there's going to be anybody angry at them, let it be God. Now, there is a godly type of anger of which you look at the works they are doing, but you don't judge the person. You judge the works. Galatians 5.22 talks about righteousness that comes from our spirit. Here's what our spirit desires to produce. Galatians 5.22 and 23, love, joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering, temperance, meekness, gentleness. These are things that produce from your human spirit powered by the Holy Spirit. And God simply wants us to use the power of the Holy Spirit and our recreated spirit to overcome the lusts of the flesh. And the longer you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of the word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit, the more and more you gain control over your flesh and begin to find out one day, you know what? I can't remember the last time that flesh had control over me. I can't remember the last time I sinned. Oh, you probably will. It just becomes less and less and less. I'll see you right after the break. The Apostle Paul knew that works can't bring salvation. The Galatian churches, after believing the gospel of grace in Christ, were misled into Jewish law. Paul wrote to them, confronting their foolishness. His letter declared salvation by faith alone, not based on effort or observance, but solely upon the grace of God. In this New Testament commentary on Galatians, Bob Yandian defines legalism, its effects on the Galatians, and its impact on today's church. Seeing how legalism infected the Galatian churches, we can learn to overcome this subtle attack on believers today. To order this New Testament commentary on Galatians, visit bobyandian.com. Theology Simplified is a practical guide to foundational biblical truth. Basic doctrines are not difficult, but easy to understand. They often become disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words, but the definitions are simple. Pastor Bob makes complex theological concepts clear and practical. Eight crucial doctrines of the Christian faith are demystified. Redemption, justification, sanctification, reconciliation, predestination, election, propitiation, and glorification. These eight precepts, essential for all believers to understand, come to light as you read and arrive at a deeper understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ. To order Theology Simplified, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. 
You know, when I was growing up, we used to hear from the pulpit, the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, our recreated spirit and the power of the flesh. But nobody ever told us that our flesh was found in our body. And somehow we just had this idea, where does that nature of the sin that, that my that I might want to produce at times, the pushing in me towards sin, and there's a pushing in me toward righteousness. And what they simply said was, ministers often said, it's like two dogs fighting inside of you. There's a white dog, which is the good one, and a black dog, which is the bad one. And they're fighting against each other, and they're equal. And the one you feed is the one that's going to have control. Well, there's kind of a few little, little things in there, right? But here's the point. They're not both inside of me. There's one in me and one in my outward man. If my nature of sin and called the flesh or sin in the singular was inside of me, then it would go to heaven with me. The only part of me that is not redeemed is my body. And that's where the nature of the flesh is. When I die, my body will turn to dust and I'll lose the nature of the flesh. I remember Kenneth Hagin said one time that he was, he said that he was taken up into heaven and he said, he said, I think I momentarily left my body and came right back to it. On the earth, it was like one split second, but I felt like I was in heaven, he said, for about 30 or 40 minutes. He said, I was there. He said, the moment that I rose up out of my body, he said, this incredible freedom came over me. I could believe the freedom I had, the joy that I had, the the non-pressure on me to commit sin. He said, it was all gone until I came back. That showed right there that really the nature of the flesh is in his body. This is told over and over again in the book of Romans. And it says there, you know, that it's sin that works in my members. It's called the body of sin. Same thing's told in chapter four of the book of James verse one, where does fightings and wars come from? Don't they come from the lust that war in your members? So it's your physical body. And that's where this nature is found. And again, since the body has not been redeemed, should you uh, die and the rapture not come, your body will turn to dust. But at that moment, the nature of the flesh is gone out of you. It's your outward man fighting your inward man. Galatians chapter five and verse 24 says this, that we are to use the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of our recreated spirit to overcome the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5, 24 through 26 says this, those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. In other words, if we're born again and the Holy Spirit lives in us, then walk in it, it's available. And verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. You can be born again and still under the control of the flesh. Or you can be born again and the flesh be present, but you walk in the power of the spirit. Why don't you choose that one? Because it's gonna be that the power of your flesh will always be there, but greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world or literally from the world. And this came from the world system. This came from the fall of Adam. So verse 26 again says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In other words, it's possible to begin to walk in the spirit and then begin to think of yourself more highly. I'm more spiritual than those around me. Quit looking down your nose at other people. What God has done for you, he'll do for any Christian. If they'll just do what you did, go to the word of God. You didn't write the word, God did. You didn't create the Holy Spirit. He's there all the time. You are simply to submit to what's around you and invite other people to do the very same thing. Jesus set the example of righteousness over iniquity.
Hebrews chapter one and verse nine says, speaking, and this is an Old Testament verse addressed to Jesus Christ by God the Father. And this verse found in the Old Testament was actually predicting what God would say to Jesus when he arose from the dead, walked on the earth for 40 days, then came up to heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father and God praised him for the 33 years of work he had done on earth. Hebrews 1, 9 quotes it and says, you have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. And the word iniquity means lawlessness. When Jesus lived in this earth, he loved righteousness and he hated lawlessness. You see, in us, you can have a divine type of hatred, hatred toward the things of the world, hatred toward sin, hatred toward the things the world does, but you can also have a love for righteousness. And Jesus came to this earth and loved righteousness, but he hated iniquity. It's all right. It's like two sides of the same coin. In your life, you can have a love-hate relationship, but love toward God, love toward people, love toward righteousness, love toward helping people, but hatred toward the things of the earth around us. You know, it hadn't been that long ago that Roe versus Wade was overturned. That was an iniquity and hated by so many Christians, that one lawless act, and suddenly it was turned around and there's a great day of rejoicing. So it comes back to this, that you as a Christian can be just like Jesus. You can love righteousness and the walk of righteousness. You can also hate iniquity. You don't hate the people that do it. You hate the power in them doing it. You love people because just like God, you so love the world that you give your life for them every single day to get the message of Jesus to them. So you cannot say, if I have been called to freedom, I am free then to sin. And no, God has already forgiven me of what I have done and am about to do. That's so common today. Romans 6, 1 says, so what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so grace may abound? And that's exactly what's being said. I've been walking in grace, God's saving grace. So no matter what I do from this point on, I'm forgiven of it. Well, you were forgiven of your sins to keep you out of heaven the moment you got saved, but sins that keep you out of problems in life are rampant everywhere. And God simply points out to us, the first thing that happens is when we ask God to forgive us of our sins, that he gives us joy. These things we write to you that your joy may be full. Listen, the most miserable people on earth are not sinners. The most miserable people on earth are Christians who are living under the control of the flesh. And that's what God is simply saying. And here we have it again, God saying these verses of scripture that when we ask God to forgive us of our sins, it says when we do that, it says we begin to understand the love of God. We begin to grow in joy and happiness. When we ask God to forgive us, the joy of the Lord is restored to us. David said when he sinned in the Old Testament and he was finally caught and Nathan the prophet told him the story and, and acquainted him what God knew all the time and what Nathan now knew, but David wouldn't admit. And that was his sin with Bathsheba. The first thing David said was, I have sinned against the Lord. And, and here's what Nathan the prophet said to him. He said, your sins are forgiven, you won't die. And David said at that time, writing in the Psalms about that incident said, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. His joy returned. Notice he didn't say, give me my salvation back. He said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Walking in sin removes you from joy. And then all of a sudden you turn into some phony. You may not want to come back into fellowship with God or ask him to forgive you, but you get to act like you're happy, act like you're joyful. And what you become is a hypocrite. So Romans 6, 1 says again, so what should we say? Speaking to people who now look around and say, well, I'm saved. I can sin and my sins that I commit well are already forgiven. So I don't need to ask God to forgive me of that. Yeah, you do. It's found throughout the word of God. 
And even in the Old Testament, Proverbs tells us that if we ask for forgiveness and turn from them, then our joy will come. Again, throughout the word of God, Romans 6, 1, what shall we then say? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? You know what the next words are? God forbid. The freedom given by Jesus did not include freedom for our flesh, but freedom and power over our flesh. Mild people say, well, my sin just causes God's grace to rise up and increase. That is a lie. God doesn't need sin, so grace can rise up. God is a God of grace with or without sin, and God will still be a God of grace when one day sin is totally eradicated. Satan is put in the lake of fire. All demons are put in the lake of fire. The false prophet, the beast, all religion, all sinners will be gone. And at that day, grace will still be here because God doesn't need sin to display grace. Now, sometimes in our life when we have sin on one side, grace on the other, it looks like grace is magnified because the sin looks so bad, but the grace should look so good. We get rid of the sin. We don't want to walk in sin. My desire is not just to walk with God, but to walk free from sin every day. Jesus not only came to save me from sin, he came to save me from sinning. And that's the point of the Christian life. The point of growth in the Christian life is to reach a place in your life where you don't sin anymore. Your unrighteousness does not magnify God's righteousness. God's forgiveness is not a license to sin. God's forgiveness is a license to serve him without 1 John 1, 9, without the ability as a Christian to ask God to forgive you of that sin. Not that it's gonna keep me out of heaven. It's gonna keep me out of protection. It's gonna keep me away from sickness. It's gonna keep me away from the curses that are in this earth because if I walk in those things, God can't protect me at that moment. Oh yes, I'll go to heaven, but I don't wanna go to heaven early. I wanna live out a full life on this earth. God's forgiveness is not a license to sin. God's forgiveness in this life is a license to serve. Romans chapter three, verses five through eight says this. If our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust to inflict wrath? I speak as a man. What's he simply saying here is, does unrighteousness demonstrate the righteousness of God even more? The answer is no. Is God unjust to inflict wrath? It's simply saying here that should I walk in sin and call that God and the purpose that God has of me walking in sin is to make his grace look bigger to the world? He says, no. He says, I speak as a man. I'm speaking strictly from human viewpoint, not from the Christian viewpoint, but from the world's viewpoint. Certainly not, verse six, for then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my life to his glory, why am I still judged as a sinner? In other words, the only way I as a Christian can be judged as a sinner is if I let myself be controlled by the flesh. And this verse is saying, don't do it. Verse eight, and why not say that let us do evil so good may come? Why not? Why, why don't we just keep on doing evil? And that way we'll keep showing how great God is as we are slanderously reported and some affirm that we say their condemnation is just. So daily answers in my life. When do we turn the cheek? towards someone else. People say, yeah, well, aren't we supposed to turn the cheek? Yes, we are. We turn our cheek toward those who persecute us 
for the walk of righteousness and following Jesus. If you're persecuted just because somebody wants to beat up on you because you're a shrimp, it's okay to fight back in that case. But if somebody comes to abuse you, slap you, beat you up and all that because you're a Christian, turn the other cheek. Why? Because God is my defense in that case. Very quickly in closing, look at Matthew chapter five, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's rewards for this. Blessed are you when they revile you, persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward. They persecuted the prophets before you and they're persecuting you. You're standing in a good line. I mean, the Old Testament prophets were persecuted for following God. Jesus was persecuted for following God. If I'm persecuted for following God, I'm in great company. And simply saying this verse of scripture, hang on to that. But if people are, again, if you just, on top of that, what if you're being persecuted because you chose to walk in sin? Well, it just magnifies the grace of God. No, it magnifies your stupidity. The whole purpose of why God came to die for you is not just to get you saved, but to get you walking in this earth like you are saved and to literally be a walking, talking Jesus in front of everybody, truly a Christian. See you next time. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership.